first, let's just start with where we sit right now as a country. So Canada, Sarah, has a goal of reaching net zero emissions by 2050. It seems that every single time a report is issued about shorter term goals, Canada is not meeting those expectations. Can you, from your perspective, define whether that's accurate? Are we just continuously falling short over and over? Mm, Yeah, that's a really important topic. And in some ways, we're doing really well. Um, We've never had as much climate policy in Canada as we do um, today. In 2020, we announced the federal government announced a new climate plan. In 2022, they put out a 2030 emission reduction plan. This year, just recently, we released the federal government released a new climate adaptation plan. We have uh, cap and cut policies for the oil and gas uh, oil and gas sector. So, this is all good news um, in a way, actually. And I think Canadians should feel really great about this, that we have a federal government right now that is addressing this. Um, But at the same time, we have actually never met our emissions reductions targets. And in part, to meet the goals that we have in the future, we are relying on some perhaps troubling plans or technologies that uh, aren't promised to help us meet these targets. They're not guaranteed perhaps. So in some ways, we are trying really hard in Canada to meet our target of net zero by 2050, which means either we're emitting no emissions or we're offsetting the emissions. But we do definitely have a gap in terms of what, how we're going to get there um, in the country itself. And I want to talk about some of those gaps in the ways that you and your organization think that we can potentially fill them. But in terms of Canadians, I think it's kind of hard to define overall in a general sense whether Canadians care about climate action and about energy policies. It seems that it's sort of different if you look from Canadians coast to coast in terms of whether or not we we really care about it. Do you find that Canadians, as much as you can generalize, are passionate about this or are we relatively indifferent? Um, I think that Canadians do care about this. And I think it's, I I don't know, I wouldn't blame Canadians for in part, we hear a lot about these conferences, these global events, these meetings, and, you know, agreements that we sign. Of course, we just had one in Montreal that roughed up um, this week. And then, you know, they come, and there's a lot of hype around what's going to happen. And then, you know, they fade away. And we also Canadians have learned that at this point, they haven't really delivered or driven enough change. Um, So I don't necessarily, I wouldn't blame Canadians for being in a position. I wouldn't say that they don't care about it. I think that perhaps people are a little apprehensive around the um, agreements that have come out of the global stage and understanding how Canada as a federal government and also, you know, we have provinces and territories as well and municipalities that all govern on this topic. I think Canadians are, you know, wondering, okay, what are we going to do about this now? And how is this going to impact my life? Sure. And I would imagine, too, that our attention as Canadians, you know, it it's pulled in so many different directions. And so for us to be paying attention to climate action, uh, you know, maybe the way that we should be, uh, it's it's kind of a big ask. Is it not, Sarah? I think it's a really big ask. And especially right now, um, we have an affordability crisis in Canada um, around housing and food and other um, commodities. Um, And 
we are, of course, more polarized in the Canadian landscape as well. So perhaps at times um, addressing climate is a little bit more in certain parts of the country or to certain segments of the country. Uh, it becomes more about the messenger, perhaps, than the messenger than the message itself <laughs> in many ways. Um, mm-hmm. And we also see that we have a lack of trust increasingly in Canada in terms of our ability for public institutions to deliver, not only on climate change, but also really important public policy issues that affect us all in our day-to-day lives. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a crunch. And I will say that, you know, people feel anxious um, right now about the future, understandably so. And framing climate action as, you know, perhaps a punishment or things that are going to infringe upon our day-to-day lives and our well-being um, is less effective. Um, it, you know, it, it sounds hard to do, but it would be great if, you know, having climate action sounds like coming to a bit more of a fun and energizing party, perhaps, than it is right now in Canada. And I think that moving towards in that direction for Canadians would perhaps engender a little bit more support. I think you're absolutely right. You're so you're so bang on, I think, to frame it that way that for so long it did sort of seem like a punishment. It was what we had to take away and what we had to change and what was maybe difficult for Canadians to embrace um, that, you know, maybe we were a little bit apprehensive to to do that. So I, I want to talk a little bit about the biodiversity conference. As I mentioned, it wrapped up today. Mm-hmm. There were some uh, historic decisions made. But first, uh, your your organization that you are the chair of, you're the chair of Women and Inclusivity in Sustainable Energy Research. You held a roundtable after a different conference. That was the United mm-hmm. Nations Climate Change Conference. Why was it that your group wanted to come together and and discuss what action we we really need to be thinking about and embracing after that conference? Mm, yeah, so um, Women and Inclusivity in Sustainable Energy Research, so WISER, um, the full title is, of course, a bit of a mouthful, but, you know, as academics, we're really good at doing that and making things <laughs> long and convoluted sometimes. But um, what our organization does is we are looking to platform voices that are perhaps less heard in the Canadian landscape on issues of sustainable energy transitions. And in particular, we focus always, we always try to center forms of justice and inclusivity in our transition. So we have multiple conversations throughout this year on a variety of topics. Of course, um, these big agreements are hot topics, right? And in, in fact, we've hosted one in Canada just recently, which is, which is huge. So we, what we did in hosting that panel is we reflected essentially on what was going on at the previous COP. Um, conference in Egypt, and we were saying, okay, we have all these global negotiations processes going on. Of course, there are some great things coming out of these international agreements, um, but there are also perhaps less of a clear roadmap for countries to do, um, to know what to do, Um, in part because it's, you know what, these international agreements, they really do reflect the challenges and complexities of what it's like to be in an international system where different countries, some want to change things and some want to change things less, right? So it's, you know, we, our systems at the international level really do reflect the tensions that we have, you know, in between countries at the international level. So we have this issue where we're like, okay, now in Canada, at the federal, provincial, municipal level, what should we be doing if these international conferences, they can't 
you know, give us all of the clear cut answers. So and what we do in our organization is bring together groups of people, both academics and practitioners that offer this angle in terms of how can we think about constantly justice and inclusivity in this shift, because we more than ever need to bring different coalitions of people together. We need to think about those in which policy perhaps hasn't benefited. In part, that's why we're in this issue, right? People feel disenchanted because previous policy systems haven't benefited them. And so how can we consider this when we're thinking about climate policy and linking it to these broader socioeconomic and socioecological issues in Canada? And that's what we discussed, and we were really lucky to do so. So I want to talk a little bit more about those discussions that you had. Also, what could potentially be at risk if we don't move forward in the ways that we we should. Uh, but mm-hmm. we do have to take a little bit of a break. So, Sarah, I hope you'll stick around. Uh, and as mentioned, I want to talk a little bit about uh, COP15, which wrapped up today in Montreal. We heard some promising announcements. Stephen Gilbo talks about what some of those decisions looked like. Together. We take a bold step forward to protect nature, to protect the air that we breathe, the water that we drink. For that, Mr. President, we are extremely grateful. Talking about climate action and what Canadians need to do to really create some positive change. Uh, Today, the UN Biodiversity Conference wrapped up in Montreal and uh, there was an historic decision made that is intended to be the most significant effort to protect the world's lands and oceans. So this agreement, which is called 30 by 30, agrees to protect 30% of land and water that's considered important for biodiversity by 2030. Just for reference, there's currently 17% of land and 10% of marine areas that are protected. So this would be a, a big increase. Uh, My guest to join me to talk about this is an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science at the University of Victoria. She's also the 2022 Chair of Women and Inclusivity in Sustainable Energy Research, also known as WISER, if that's easier to remember. Sarah Sharma is back with me again. Sarah, I'm curious, when it comes to COP15, which just wrapped up today and we heard some of the big uh, goals of it, the 30 by 30, I think, is the biggest headline. Do you think that this is something that we'll actually be able to achieve? We were speaking before about how oftentimes we'll set these big goals and these big targets and and fall short of them. So is this one something that you think is actually reachable and will this be a real difference maker? Um, I hope so. I hope it is. I mean, Mm -hmm. I think that in all these all of these meetings are real juncture points and especially because we hosted this meeting in canada we have a responsibility right our name is going to be on this agreement um to some extent um forever right so we have the opportunity here to really enact this plan however of course you know the devil is always in the details right so we need to have solutions that actually um make an impact have a real effect and you know, and perhaps don't uh, rely on methods that perhaps distract from the issue at hand. Um, This reduces the effectiveness, but also importantly, the trust in the ability for our governments to enact these plans. Sarah, if if we do fall short, or if we keep giving ourselves forgiveness for not meeting these goals what's at what's at risk here? Can you sort of paint that picture for our listeners in terms of how serious this issue is? 
Mm, yeah, it's extremely serious. So something that is a, um, a natural gift that we have in Canada is we have quite a bit of water. Um, and this is a water shortages because of issues of climate change are a really big issue in many places. And we in Canada, we also do experience drought in certain parts of the country. And um, a lot of our targets in Canada ha- um, would surround protecting forms of water. Um, and we would be putting um, our wildlife, but also the water that we rely on in terms of uh, using as communities um, in our day-to-day lives, but also we, that we use in industrial processes and so on and so forth. So really, our, the ways that we interact with our lives on a day-to-day basis and also the way that our economy works relies on protecting um, forms of water. Um, another example would be our agricultural system. Something that we need to target in Canada is to reduce pesticide use. Um, this has to do with the way that you know we eat and consume food. This affects as another thing that affects us all on a day-to-day basis. And I really hope that we will implement specific policies that will strengthen protection for agricultural systems. Um, and water in Canada, because these are assets that we have as a country. And if we can't support them, um, I think it's actually quite silly because it's an advantage that we have, frankly. Sarah, thank you so much for making this time this evening. I really appreciate the conversation and all of your hard work. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Of course.